The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. My, how the tables have turned on the Catch and Shoot podcast. You know, I took a lot of heat from, from Noah for uh, going on vacation to Mexico. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's what, a week later? And uh, Noah, you decide to vacation in the, in the beautiful uh, Pocono region of Pennsylvania. W- what's going on here, buddy? Yeah, wait, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's set the record straight here. I didn't give you heat for taking vacation. I gave you heat for actually doing the podcast on vacation. That, that's what I gave <laughs> you heat for. But, and now uh, you're look, doing I the don't, same. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see what your paychecks are, so I guess I can't give you heat. But and then, uh, and then in two weeks, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be vacationing in Dominican Republic, and there's no way I'm even doing this 10 minute call in from uh, from the Dominican <laughs> Republic if I want if I want to remain married. Uh, but my my parents are turning 70. My dad turns 70 April 30th. My mom turns 70 May 9th, and my brother lives in Switzerland, so he came in. Uh, on Thursday to Philadelphia with his daughter, and and then uh, Marissa and I came in with Eden on Saturday. So and we had a bunch of family at the house for uh, for dinner on Saturday night, and then they just wanted to take go somewhere. We get a house and take some day trips from there. So here's where we are. And then uh, on yesterday we went to this this water park, which is the world's largest indoor water park. So I went on uh, a whole bunch of water slides yesterday with Eden, and uh, it was fun to see her keep getting more and more aggressive as the day went on with uh with how she was gonna you know which slide she was gonna go down and today now we're at a playground i'm watching my brother who's 39 years old walk across a balance beam <laughs> at the moment uh he's not the most that's actually probably in the top 10 most athletic things i've ever seen him do and then uh we're gonna go to crayola factory and then uh, come back to Philadelphia for, for a few days. My parents just don't get to spend a whole lot of time with uh, with all of us all together. So it's nice. Wow. Wow. And and we're going to yeah. get oh, to. But I will tell you. Hold on. I will tell you. I will tell you. When I was home on Saturday, and I always like to go at home uh, at my parents' house. I like to look through old baseball cards. And I have a lot of things organized. But I, I was looking through this old scrapbook that my mom had from, from her mom. And uh, and I knew I was very close to both my, my grandparents, both my mom's parents. And in this scrapbook was the receipt, was the bill from their honeymoon from March 9th, 1947 to March 14th, 1947 at the Waldorf Astoria. And how much do you think a room with tax was each night in 1947 at the Waldorf Astoria in New York City? Wow. Uh, Let's say $60. I, I, I don't. I don't have any. No, but well, it was $10 and 50 cents a night. And so their entire bill with um 
with the restaurant, meals, uh, like the drugstore, all that, their entire bill was $102. $102? Yeah, yeah, and they have and they had the receipts. So it's, it's, I always like finding all sorts of things. I found a, I found an old card of your boy Don McLean from Pac-12 Network yes. when he won the uh, sixth man of the year. I found the... Um, most the improved. Football. Most improved. Oh, most improved, right. Um, I found the, the top football card from Vikings wide receiver and kick returner Buster Rhymes, which Chuck D gave Buster Rhymes. That's who he gave Buster Rhymes his name from. Why is there a guy honking behind me? I'm just on the phone. <laughs> I'm sitting on a bench. These guys got a, these guys got a honk to announce their arrival at a Poconos. Uh, Do you have chalk in your hand? Bunch of kids. Yeah, right. Noah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Noah, I guess. I'm curious about I'm curious about the idea that you're at the world's largest indoor water park. What does I the was, world's yes, largest Yeah, what does the world's largest indoor water park have that other water parks don't have? I probably just like a lot more things. It's probably just bigger. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's okay. over it's over 200,000 square feet. And they've got the water park, they have indoor and outdoor mini golf. They've got ropes courses they've got there's a convention center there's a whole arcade it's almost like a it's almost like vegas for 10 year olds that's what it really seemed like wow. but it, wow. it was uh yeah it was pretty it was pretty great it was pretty great it wasn't wasn't even wasn't even too crowded i got to go down even a slide or two without eating yeah it's a great time. Good time do you recommend the uh poconos as a vacation spot yeah, absolutely. It's be- I mean, especially right now it is, but I, it, it, I mean, right now I'm sitting outside and it's beautiful. It's 72 degrees in the sun, but I would wait until like, if you're coming with kids, I would actually wait until mid May because then that's when a lot of the, uh, the farms and gardens are open right now. There's, they're not, they're not open to get a kind of improvise with some different things, but, uh, yeah, I would wait till May and that's, you get the, the petting zoos and, there's a big tree house that's opening. So I'm thinking about I'm thinking about just quitting all this basketball stuff and becoming a travel guide. And working for the Poconos tourism guide. I think No, no, uh, just like all over the country, just like everywhere I've been. Like I just I gotta send you I I, I wrote up my uh conference USA dining guide. I wrote that up <laughs> the other day. I gotta send that to you. Yeah, in preparation do. for football season. Yeah, if you ever find yourself in Hattiesburg, Mississippi and you need a vegetable, you know where to you know where to find it. I love it. I also love that you're improvising for a petting zoo. I don't know what that means out in the wild, whether there's wild well, animals playground. you're tracking down. Play- no, 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 I'm no, just no, envisioning. No, no. Not, I'm envisioning it for myself. Let me fantasize. Fox. Let me fantasize. Let me fantasize about how you're handling a self-made petting zoo. Um, no, we uh, we're gonna have to let you let you go because we've got a guest here, Steve Bulpit of the uh, Boston Herald, uh, joining Enjoy Catch it. and Shoot, and and get this. You might be Wally Pipped because our own producer, Bruce Bernstein, who no one has heard on this podcast before, ESPN's mm-hmm. legendary, longtime, uh, excellent coordinating producer, joining me on the show. Other people, not just you and I, are going to get to hear Bruce's voice later on. Yeah, I've, I've, never, I've never felt more secure in my job. Enjoy yourself, guys. <laughs> I've never felt oh. more secure. <laughs> you are missed, Noah. You're missed. I, I hope right, you enjoy the you Poconos. I appreciate Thank your courage. You. And uh, tell your wife I'm sorry. <laughs> See ya. All right, so I'm joined now by Steve Bulpet. 
He covers the Celtics for the Boston Herald, a beat writer for the team for over 30 years now. Uh, but, Steve, i got to start out by asking you, you were an intramural teammate of Dan Patrick's at the University of Dayton. Who was uh, the better player back in college? Oh, Dan was a better player, but um, my stock line about Dan in college was that he had a three-to-two assist ratio, years to assist. <laughs> Uh, what was his game like? Um, he was very fond of shooting, um, which was good. He was, he was a good player. We won the championship our last year. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, clearly I peaked early in life. <laughs> what was your game like? Uh, by that point, my knees were pretty shot, so it was, uh, you know, um, I was. I started out being a skinny point guard years ago, tall, skinny point guard, and uh, then all of a sudden the knees started to bark at me, and then uh, it became just you know one of the uh, one of the usual suspects. Steve, when did you when did you first realize that that you wanted to get into this? Huh. Uh, I went to college to try to play basketball and to be a lawyer, so. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sure you're enjoying talking to a two-time loser right now. Now, I, I fell into it uh, toward the end of my freshman year, basically on a dare from uh, a guy that was working for the for the, the school paper that was on my floor. Um, and so I did it on the dare, and I kind of enjoyed it and just kind of stuck with it. It just seemed to fit. Uh, by that point, I realized that um, I didn't ne- have nearly enough game to play and um you know just it it was a chance to uh to be involved uh to to still have you know to to be uh be part of things but also to to kind of carve out your own thing and your own way of looking at it i i didn't write like normal sports stories my editor would would tell you i still don't um much to his occasional chagrin uh but that's it just seemed to fit so i, I stuck with it now, as someone that's disappointed his family quite a bit, uh, what does the family say when you say, hey, I'm I'm not going to be a lawyer anymore. I'm going to be a sports writer. Well, you know, I, I was the first person in my family to go to school, so they were just happy that, you know, that I had an opportunity to feed and clothe myself. I'm, I'm second-generation American. My grandparents are from Greece, and, um, you know, they were just happy that if I was happy, then things were cool. That's phenomenal. So, do you remember your first day on the job? What what that was like? Uh, at school or professionally? Professionally. I mean, at, professionally. at the, the school. Wow. Um, let's see. Vaguely, I uh, I talked my if I graduated uh, and I went home for the I, I talked my way into going home for the summer back to Boston because I knew I was going to go back to Ohio, but I wasn't sure for how long. And I went back and um, I interviewed for a job at the Beaver Creek Daily News. Uh, yes, indeed, beavers on the masthead chewing trees. Um, <laughs> uh, and the, I was told like a couple weeks after I'd started that the, uh, they said I came in when I didn't, I didn't wear socks. And um, so the, uh, the, the person that hired me said, um, we we'd seen your stuff from from the school paper, but I gave you the job because 
I figured anyone that would have the nerve to come in here without socks must be pretty good. Um, I proved them wrong on that count, but, uh, you know, that, that was my start. Oh, that's incredible. How, how often do you, uh, do you read your old articles and, um, either appreciate or, or, um, cringe at what, at what you've written back, back when you first started? I'm generally a nonviolent person, but if you show me anything I've written from two months ago and behind, I, I, I will, I will throw down. Um, two months yeah, ago. No, yeah, no, I, it's, it's funny. I, I go back to, uh, to Dayton, to University of Dayton every year to teach for a week. And um, sometimes when I'm dealing with first-year writers, I just say, look, what you're going to write now is really going to suck bad. Be ready for that. Um, you know, and I explained to them that if, if they were to show me um, what I wrote when I was there, you know, uh, we'd have trouble. I just think that, you know, as you're, as you're starting out, you need to, um, you know, find your voice, uh, find what fits for you. Uh, and I think as you start out, I mean, I've seen a few, few young writers at school that were just really good out of the gate. And, and those are people I don't like very much. Um, <laughs> you just, you can envy someone like that. It's great for them, but it's, it, it takes a while, I think you to figure out exactly um, how you're going to approach the job and um, and how you how you see it. Okay, so that being said, what do, what do you know now about reporting and about writing that you had no idea about when you first started or, or early on in your career? You know, I, I think you've been told things, you've been taught things, but until you experience them, um, the, the biggest thing you know, I don't think you're ready for is just the the grind of it on the road. You know, I've spent, you know, I'm, I don't, we, during the finals a couple of years ago, uh, we figured out we could we could track our lifetime Marriott room nights. And I've, I've spent, you know, years and years, almost 10 years in Marriott's over my, you know, in my life. And it's, uh, it's kind of frightening. But just that whole, the idea of the grind and... Um, and how you have to manage that. What do you think about the relationship that it appears to be now between some members of the media and and certain NBA players, where it seems like it's very personal? Do you, is this a is this a current phenomenon? What, what's your take on on that relationship that we see between some of the superstars and some of the contentious stuff that's going on now? You mean personal in an antagonistic way, or? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, here's the difference, and it's some, it's kind of funny. It's something I've talked with with Larry Bird over the years. When, when I started out on it, you you traveled um, on the, the teams flew commercially, and we were on the same flights, and we'd show up at the gate the morning after a game. You know, we were all dragging, and there was the the sense that that the players got for the writers and writers for the players that hey, you know, we're all doing a job here, and it ain't always glamorous, and we don't the writers don't just drop in from Mars, take some cheap shots and go home. Um, there was a sense mm -hmm. that, you know, that we were, we were doing jobs. Um, so the time we have with players now has been severely limited by, you know, l less locker room access. Uh, practices are closed. 
Uh, the availability after practices is, uh, is limited. Um, but what that means, I think, is just you have to work harder to develop those business relationships. Um, you know, when a guy comes on to the Celtics, I've got to, you know, you know, find something, some reason to, to to talk about, to develop that thing with him. Like in the case of a Terry Rozier, you know, picking on him for having that the fashion thing with the, the rips in your jeans, you know. Um, something as small as that, but that, you know, you develop just a conversational uh, approach with guys. And I, I think, really think it's up to the writers to, uh, to work on that. And, you know, look, the, understand where the players are coming from. Uh, in certain cases, you know, if a guy wants to be a certain way, a player wants to be a certain way, then you choose whether to play that or not. You know, if a guy wants to be condescending or whatnot, then, you know, uh, I don't know about you, but I don't get paid enough to deal with that. You know, you do what your job requires, but, um, you know, try to treat each other like people. and You have to do your part as well. Steve, you mentioned uh, Larry Legend. What's your best bird trash-talking story? Huh. Um, I wish I could narrow it down to a thousand. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll listen well, to all of them, I'm sure. And by the way, when we were talking about the travel thing, Larry was also, he's also talked about how he wished he could make the Pacers travel commercially a couple times a year so they would appreciate things. Anyway, uh, the story I'll tell you is, is the one um, that was sitting before the game, before game four in Indiana with, with Quinn Buckner, and we were talking about some stuff. And I mentioned the time that the Celtics were playing in playing the Cavaliers in the old Richfield Coliseum. Um, and Larry was getting heckled bad by some people uh, behind, behind the Celtics bench there. And uh, – he, at one time, during a timeout, he turns to them and, and, and says, if I throw my wallet in the air, I could crush your whole section. So <laughs> always, good to, always good to hit him with your wallet, Larry. As far as Bird's concerned, having the relationship that you do, he's such a, a figure that I think most people just don't really understand. What are some things about Larry Bird that you think the public just doesn't get? I don't think there's much they don't get. Um, well, I, I do think that, that people don't realize that he was a, a lot better athlete than he was given credit for. Um, and he worked hard at that, and everyone talks about, uh, you know, the hours of practice he put in. Uh, but um, he was a lot more athletic, and I think that would catch um, some players off guard some younger players off guard when they first have to deal with him. But, uh, you know, uh, I think pretty much everyone else, everyone knows the rest of his, of his, of his deal. But, you know, he, he did, he was a, I think what he had is what the greatest players have. And that is that competitive edge, that need to win, uh, almost pathological. I mean, Michael Jordan, clearly was uh, was superior athletically to a lot of guys in the game in his time. But what made him uh, as great as he was, in my mind, was his just his competitive nature and how he had to win at everything. I mean, he would, they would, he would bet with Scottie Pippen about which one of their pieces of luggage would come off the, 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 the rack first uh, at, at 
baggage claim and things like that. He had to have that action. And, um, you know, Larry was a guy that if you were, if you were keeping score, he was competing. I love it. I love it. Um, fast forward to modern day, Kyrie Irving, what's, uh, what's your relationship with him like? Uh, interesting. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you check the weather, I guess. Um, Kyrie's an interesting guy. Um, I think um, he sees ghosts sometimes where there aren't any. Um, yeah, I, you know, played some ball with his dad, so I go back a long way. And uh, I, there's a lot of times where where players in today's game, uh, and, and look, the, the, the landscape is different with. Uh, social media and all those things and the immediacy of reaction to, to events or rumors and whatnot. But um, I do think players, if they take a step back um, and compartmentalize things, can realize that, that they can make things a lot easier on themselves. When, we, when Kyrie got pulled into the uh, Anthony Davis uh, trade rumor talk and all that, uh, back in February or late January, um, we were in New York and uh, heading to a shoot-around. We fully expected that Kyrie would just, you know, say, well, hey, uh, I'm not talking about this now. I'm, I'm focused on the season. But then he says, you know, ask me July 1st, which ran counter to what he'd said to the bunch of season ticket holders in October. But it, it kind of created a thing that, I, it, you know, I know a lot of his teammates were – kind of rolling their eyes at and you know it's when you're in the middle of it maybe it's different maybe it's harder to see that but uh you know uh, i do think that the guys in the league now could, could make their lives a lot easier um but that's again that's their choice you know you you just alluded to it and i know that you had said um earlier this season that you know the same point that the Kyrie drama started when he got pulled into the anthony davis mess so how much, how much of the blame do you think that, that Rich Paul should uh, take for sort of what, what happened with the Celtics' um, soap opera, as it turned out? I wouldn't put any of it on Rich Paul. Um, you know, it's like uh, if someone uh, in, in, invites you into the circus, you choose whether you walk in or not. But, the, you know, the players, the Celtics uh, – they have their own. They have their own thing going on. Um, you know, if uh, Rich Paul and Anthony Davis are trying to engineer his way out of, or were at that point trying to engineer his way out of New Orleans, um, you know, and you're one of the characters on the periphery, you can choose whether to play or not. You know, you can choose to say. You know, you can shut it down by saying, you know, I've said what I said back in October. If anything changes, I'll let you know. Just things like that. And look, it, when Kyrie said that he was planning to re-sign with Boston next year, you know, I, I always took it that, that that wasn't a definite, that what happened this season and, and how things play out would be the major factor in, uh, in what Kyrie decides to do as a free agent. Um, and I think that's still an operative uh, question. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I don't think anyone else – the Celtics' issues that they had this season were, were created uh, – you know, they, they had the ability to deal with – to create those and, or 
deal with them, and that was their choice, how it, how it played out on a lot of different levels, not just the Kyrie situation with uh, the Anthony Davis rumors or anything else. Um, you know, you make your own bet. As someone that's gotten a chance to watch Kyrie for a long time and now, you know, watching him in the, the first round of the playoffs, what are your thoughts about how he's playing right now in relation to how you've seen him at least the rest of the season? Um, well, I think what I saw in the first round is, is what you'd expect, that uh, when an opponent gets you for, you know, games on end, they're going to be uh, altering their defense. You know, you can't alter your defense for every single team you play during the regular season, but the defense will uh, be altered by the opponent for you in a series. And I think what you saw was uh, when the Pacers uh, sent extra bodies at Kyrie, uh, the ball movement that really hadn't been there, not just from him, I'm talking about from everybody. Uh, actually, he did have he did move the ball well during the year, but the, the ball movement that the Celtics have been needing during the season was there more. So, uh, you know, what you'd expect. Kyrie is, to me, you know, one of the best handful of players in the league. I, I thought that back when he was with Cleveland. Um, you, know, you know, as great as LeBron is, and no one's putting Kyrie above him. Uh, it was Kyrie Irving who had the, the biggest shot in Cavaliers history. Uh, and seeing how he gets to places on the floor now and how he uh, engineers shots in traffic is just its just wild to see. I mean, Brad, said it, uh, Brad Stevens said about it after game four, you know, he, it's a joke. He's a joke. Four different players led the team in scoring in the four games against the Pacers. Um, if Kyrie Irving's the most important player on this team heading in, into their series against the Bucks, who's the second most? Uh, well, any any number of guys could step up and be that person, but I think going into it, I think you've got to look at Al Horford because of yeah, you know, I'm sure they're going to be throwing uh, multiple bodies at Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, Defensively, but uh, you know, I think that Al's responsibility in anchoring the defense is going to be huge. And also, when it comes to defense, I, I think what's not going to get as much attention is really how well the Celtics perimeter players can pressure the ball and, uh, at the very least, uh, keep the Bucks from getting into their offense right away, make them get into it later in the shot clock, that could be a factor. So that kind of, you know, that, that kind of defensive pressure. But in the middle of it all, uh, having uh, what Al Horford does there, and of course offensively, I mean, his, uh, his pick and roll game with, with Kyrie Irving has been pretty well established. And, uh, you know, if, if he's hitting some shots, that can change the, the tenor of things as well. You know, um, you just wrote a piece on uh, on Danny Ainge and, and sort of how, you know, the Pacers look at what Danny Ainge has done as sort of the blueprint and have admiration for it. Um, I, I've been so impressed with, with Ainge and his ability to sort of recognize how he gets himself out of situations before they become sticky, trading guys a year before their contracts are, are up, even when it's, when it's difficult. Um, how has Ainge been able to balance that 
that side of it, keeping a locker room sort of intact, keeping the, the chemistry intact while making some really difficult decisions when it comes to, to personnel? Well, um, there are things you can't avoid. And, and I, I think that the whole locker room intact thing was an issue this year. But, it, but human nature pretty well dictated that it was going to be. You had guys last year who had bigger roles um, and, uh, you know, had to, had to try to uh, do the same things uh, in, uh, in smaller, smaller bursts this year. And I think that there was pushback on that. It was, I think, one of the biggest reasons the Celtics looked so well uh, in the first round was that they, they've shortened their bench. Um, they're not trying to keep as many people happy as they were during the regular season. But Ainge, I, I think the overall overriding thing with Ainge is, you know, a lot of people that run NBA teams have really good basketball knowledge. I think what, what separated Ainge from at least some of his peers is that he's never done his job to keep his job. Uh, and I think that, that whereas some other teams you've seen over the years, they're uh, – you know, the, the GMs might have hesitated on something because, well, if it failed, it was going to be their tail on the line. You know, Ainge has been like, you know, if, if you let him go tomorrow, you know, darn, he's got to, you know, he's got to have more time to play golf and see his grandkids and maybe do some TV on the side. He's, he's there to – he's one of those competitive guys. And, um, you know, so he's not going to do something, I think. He's not going to make safe moves. So had a long talk with Donnie Walsh about it that some of it appeared in the story. And, you know, Donnie's a guy that's been, you know, running teams since the mid eighties and you just see um, what it takes to do the job properly. And you see that, you know, just take a look around the league now even and see the teams that have sputtered for years with high draft picks. And, uh, you know, um, are they making moves that are the cool moves to make or are they you know, taking the risks based on their basketball knowledge, are they willing to do those things? Um, the Steve, before I let you go, this is the Catch and Shoot podcast, so we, we always ask the guests a, a Catch and Shoot question, and so for you, I think it seems fairly obvious, but um, Game 7, your life on the line, you need someone in a Catch and Shoot situation. Of all the Celtics that you've watched, Who's who's the guy that you uh, that you want the ball in that situation for a catch and shoot? Wow, to catch the ball and to you know, cause if, I, if I got one Celtic that I'm walking on the floor with at the start of the game, it's Bill Russell. Uh, but uh, for to catch and shoot, uh, it'd be hard to go against Larry Bird. I think it'd be impossible. I mean, uh, John Havlicek, sure, a bunch of guys, Sam Jones, um, who I saw when I was a very tiny wee child let's not uh, push the ages and too far uh but yeah it would it'd be hard to go against larry oh so many so many great bird memories that that uh to bring me back to when you when you bring them up uh steve really uh can't thank you enough for your time um it's uh your writing's awesome and uh people really need to check it out nationally that i mean everybody knows i know i, I was just talking to dave mcminiman about you to prep for this interview and uh dave called you one of the true ogs so everyone uh in the league now you've inspired a, a an entire group of of young writers so 
I know they're all very thankful. So I, I appreciate your time and, uh, and what you're doing for the game. What you just said makes me feel like an accessory to accessory to their demise. So I'm not <laughs> feeling good about this. Uh, well, you should feel great. You should feel great. So thank you, Steve. Appreciate you. Chowder. That was dope. Well, from one OG to another, uh, Bruce Bernstein, people probably heard the name. Uh, I know I mention it each week as I, as I thank Bruce, who produces this podcast along with uh, my buddy Scott Turkin. But uh, Bruce, longtime legendary figure at ESPN, coordinating producer in charge of NBA, one of the first guys when I went to ESPN, uh, the people said, if you are involved in basketball in any way, shape, or form, you have to talk to Bruce Bernstein. He is going to control your path at, at ESPN, and I'm, I'm forever grateful that I, that I did, and now I'm lucky enough to call him a friend and, and, a, and a co-worker, a colleague, but, um, you know, uh, my mentor, Bruce Bernstein, is on the podcast. We're actually going to hear his voice, and uh, Bruce, uh, welcome to the to Catch and Shoot podcast as a voice, not just as a listening ear that produces each tweet. It's really a pleasure to be with you, Adam, because you are, without a doubt, one of the smartest basketball brains I have ever known. In fact, we both remember the first time I introduced you to Bill Walton. That's exactly yes. the way I introduced you. It was true then, and it's true now. Well, thanks. It's one of my uh, fondest memories, so thank you. I appreciate that. You're, you're too kind and uh, apparently not honest either. So, uh, I, no, I, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Guys, explain this to me. So, Bruce, filling in for Noah this week to explain this to me. Um, so, Bruce, explain this to me as a longtime Celtics fan and critic. The Celtics could miss Marcus Smart in this series against the Bucks more than we even realize. Without a doubt, it's true. Marcus is one of the guys that gives the team its grit and its identity. Uh, his perimeter defense has always been... Uh, a strength. And against Milwaukee, believe it or not, I think he's going to be missed as far as, as as Steve had mentioned in his uh, comments, trying to slow down Milwaukee as they start their offense, make them work, bringing the ball across half court so that they're starting their offense, you know, two, three seconds later than they'd like. And it also, when it comes to somebody like Brooke Lopez, who's a seven foot guy out there on the perimeter firing away on threes, I really felt that Marcus was going to be effective kind of digging down against him. He had a lot of success doing that against Kristaps Porzingis when the Celtics would play the Knicks. He gets down low. He makes them uncomfortable. Obviously, they'll shoot over him, but it's going to make it a lot more difficult for them to get that ball where they want it. And certainly when it comes to battling guys like, you know, Eric Bledsoe, uh, he will sorely be missed. Certainly. Certainly. They, so it's sort of like um... – how Durant described Patrick Beverly getting up inside of him in a way as a little gnat. Exactly. Although on the offensive end, Marcus became very, very aggressive as far as shooting a lot of threes, especially early in the shot clock. And in that first round series against Indiana, you saw a lot less of that. So, uh, you know, you, you lose something, you gain something. So Adam, explain this to me. The Suns coaching job recently opened is actually a better job than the Lakers coaching job. Yeah, I, I think it is, Bruce. Um, 
you know, the Suns uh, parted ways with Igor. There, the, you would look at it and say, all right, the Suns have been terrible. Their last four seasons, 23 wins, 24 wins, 21 wins, and 19 this year. Uh, and so after just one year, uh, they part ways with their head coach. And you look at the Lakers situation, so well, you've got LeBron James, you've got uh, at least one free agent in this class, right? Someone's coming. It could be uh, Kawhi, it could be KD, it could be Kyrie, it could be, um, uh, you know, maybe they do find a way next year to trade for Anthony Davis and they have different parts and young pieces. But to me, um, I know the Suns have been bad and I know that it's it'll be their seventh coach in the last eight seasons. But the young talent that they've got right now, I absolutely love. DeAndre Ayton was extremely underrated this year with what he did, averaging 16 and 10. Um, uh, he was phenomenal, but of course, you know, Trey Young and, and Luka Doncic stole all the rookie headlines. Um, Devin Booker is, I think, one of the best shooting guards in the league. I don't, I don't think there's much argument to that. Might be the best. Just, just really not many people get a chance to see him very often. they got Josh Jackson, Mikhail Bridges. And then, Bruce, they've got a lottery pick this year. And the Bucks' first-round pick next season, which is top seven protected, which means the Bucks will be better. I mean, you know, once again, the Bucks are going to be very good. So, of course, they'll get that pick as well. So this team is going to have a ton of young talent. And the way they could build up their core, I think the Suns' job is currently better than the Lakers' job. And probably the most important one is that LeBron James isn't calling the shots. So you don't have to answer to uh, – a superstar, you can actually coach the team, unlike whoever gets the job in L.A. is uh, is going to have to do. What do you think? I have this feeling in my bones, and I know this is the worst nightmare for every Knicks fan. I just have this feeling in my bones that Zion Williamson is going to fall into Phoenix's lap. So now you're looking at Aiton, Zion, Josh Jackson, Kelly Oubre Jr., and Devin Booker. I think I'd like to coach that team. Yeah, that makes uh, that makes two of us. So explain this to me. The Royce Young situation on Twitter where some troll took about the lowest of low blows against Royce Young, that that situation was handled perfectly on Twitter. Explain that to me, Adam. Well, it, I, Bruce, I, I think in general, we always think about the idea of Twitter as being such a, a negative place. And really it is. I mean, any story that comes out, no matter what it is, and I don't care whether it's sports or political or what have you, if you scroll and look at some of the replies and responses to any viral tweet, you're going to see some awful things. And and certainly, you know, this was the case maybe for people who don't know. Royce Young, uh, writer who covers uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, had um, he had heard from someone on Twitter who who said, don't be mad because, talking about Russell Westbrook, Russ's daughters are alive, unlike yours. And Royce Young had uh, lost a daughter, Eva, stillborn, and just this horrible situation for the family, a tragedy. And Royce Young responded back and said, I know you're just some anonymous moron on Twitter, but I'd like you to know that this hurt my feelings. I know that's what you were going for, and congrats, you succeeded. And it was it was terrible and just an awful thing to see. Uh, but I thought Royce's response, I thought, was eloquent. And then so many people came back and and had positive things to say that it turned this awful situation into a great situation. And Royce's uh, wife 
tweeted, in the last two years, neonatal organ donation has gone up 300% because of our daughter's legacy. If you're mad at someone for being rude to Royce on Twitter and feel like you want to do something about it, be a pal and sign up here to be an organ donor. And then gave the site, which is organdonor.gov slash register.html. So I and a, a bunch of people now are responding positively, and hopefully a lot of money is going to be raised. So once in a while we see a negative story that gets turned into a positive and uh it makes me feel a little bit better about the world bruce and you know the person the troll that 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 took that low blow of course because they're such a courageous individual they deleted their twitter account somebody <laughs> else grabbed their twitter handle and turned it into a pro royce young uh message so that was even a nice little postscript to that there are good people in the world bruce Amazing job today, stepping in for uh, for uh, Noah on uh, explain this to me. I, I it's great hearing your voice, uh, you know, actually officially on the podcast. Well, I told Noah ahead of this show. I said, "Do not worry, I am not Lou Gehrig, and you are not Wally Pip. Uh, he has nothing to worry about. I'm sure he'll be back next week." But thank you for uh, for allowing me to uh, you know uh, converse with you on the show. Yeah, I'll let you anytime. It's it's Noah's fault. He's the one who keeps you down. So we're gonna get you back on the show. Maybe even one day, maybe even one day, if 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 we get a few drinks in Noah, he'll allow Scott to even appear on the podcast. But don't hold your breath, Scott. We'll we'll see what's uh what's happening. Uh Bruce, uh I do wanna thank Scott. He's a terrific producer, did a great job today. Uh, Scott Turkin, uh, obviously Bruce, so I always want to thank you, um, as well as the rest of the Pure Hoops media team. I mean, you go down the list between Scott Kalka and um, Eric Newman, and uh, I encourage people, the best thing you can do to support is to check out our other podcasts, which are phenomenal, uh, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt, uh, the Mike Wise Show, and the Pure Hoops podcast with Eric Newman and BJ Armstrong. And of course, if you get a chance, Eric Newman's documentary, The Resurgence, on DeMarcus Cousins on Showtime. Check that out as well. Um, he's doing uh, phenomenal work. So that's all I have, Bruce. I, I think that's it. You want to send people off? Uh, yeah. Hopefully, uh, you know, we'll see a nice competitive Boston-Milwaukee series. Uh, no predictions from me yet because my brain says Milwaukee and my heart says Boston. But uh, I'm just hoping for seven. Sounds good. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.